What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. I'm one of your hosts, Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I'm here with Jeff. And those of y'all who are long-standing listeners and supporters of All of the Above know that we drop these passing periods usually in between our full episodes. Our full episodes come out every two weeks, and they are video episodes with uh, super dope editing and graphics and all that stuff, and uh, more importantly, super dope guests who help us explore critical issues in education. And those full episodes take some time to edit and to get out there. So in between those, we drop these passing periods. And sometimes, sometimes things get busy in the world of us full-time educators. And sometimes the calendar kind of gets complicated and we might have a couple passing periods in a row because of just our own calendars and what we're doing and all of that. So winter break is coming up and that means things are especially difficult and especially complicated. Uh, speaking as a high school teacher here with uh, finals and grading and all that stuff happening. So looks like we might have a few passing periods to round out this semester and then we'll be back after winter break with some more super dope guests. So in any case, for this week's passing period, first of all, Jeff, I hope you're doing well. I hope you are ready for your upcoming winter break, even though, folks, we will still have content releasing um, next weekend, even though by then we will be on winter break. Um, so, Jeff, I know you're looking forward to that, and I know it's winter time here in California. It's a frigid, I think, 60 today, so I know you got your winter coat and winter sweater on because uh, it's... that. So this low 60s, Jeff, that is that is quite difficult. And uh, man, how are you doing? And what are we talking about on today's passing period? Uh, well, we're talking about the weather on today's passing period, apparently, uh, Manuel. So it is, I will say, for the record, it is a balmy 52 degrees uh, with an overnight low of 41 uh, out here in L.A. Freezing. Um, Man, it is yeah. freezing, Jeff. I will say, when the walls of your apartment are made of some combination of attractive um, drywall and, and tissue paper... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it is close to the same temperature inside as it is outside, <laughs> quite often, um, which is why our air conditioning bills are ridiculous in the summer, and why we actually do need heat in the winter uh, because the wall above my uh, above my bed in the bedroom is also forty one degrees <laughs> overnight. Um, but uh, you know, then you look outside and there's like an orange tree and a palm tree, and it's. <laughs> It's a weird experience. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, that is what it is. Weather report over, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, happy holidays uh, to all out there. And um, also uh, just want to, you know, want to say to folks, uh, appreciate all of you in the All the Above family to continue to show love to, uh, to Manuel and I and for the show. Um, it was fun to run down all the uh, the Spotify wrapped, uh, you know, social media buzz last week and see, seeing our folks out there who are listening. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate you and um, happy, happy holidays, happy upcoming new year to all the wonderful people tuning in uh, each and every week here to all the above. Um, so as for today's episode, Manuel. Um, we're going to dig into uh, to really kind of like two, I, don't, I guess you can't necessarily call them stories. One is a story. It's a piece in the LA Times uh, that came out just uh, late this week um, on Thursday. 
by Melissa Gomez and had the title Educators Report a Rise in School Threats, Fights, and Misbehavior and Blame COVID, which is a beautifully clickbaity uh, headline. <laughs> I will say, I think the substance of the article was actually like uh, more thoughtful than the, than the clickbait headline was um, and actually doesn't like totally match the headline when I really think about it. Um, but what was interesting is that piece in juxtaposition with uh, the Surgeon General um, for the United States releasing a, um, a report, I don't know what to call this, an advisory, I think it's called, um, Protecting Youth Mental Health. The U.S. Surgeon General's advisory was also released, I believe, this week, um, although it doesn't have a specific date on it, so maybe it was released earlier and it just didn't catch folks' attention until then. But our Surgeon General, um, and I'm, I'm going to apologize if I put the wrong, you know, accent on his name, but uh, Vivek Murthy, um, Dr. Um, Vivek Murthy, uh, Surgeon General, who I think has been Surgeon General twice, Manuel. I don't know if, I don't know if your U.S. government knowledge is, uh, is on point here, but I think he yeah, was nah, Surgeon know. General during the Obama administration as well. I think he's back. So that's Oh, so he's deep state, huh? Deep state? He's, oh, he's hella deep state. He's mad feds, dude. <laughs> like, wow. All, all day. Uh, no, I mean, you know, yes, he is. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also he's a doctor who's like trying to keep people from dying. So I think he might be in a different category than like your local FBI agent. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, he uh, put out this advisory, um, you know, calling national attention to a, a mounting issue, which I think everyone who is a parent, everyone who works in schools or community organizations can probably relate to from either personal experience or stories they've heard from, uh, from others, um, that we are seeing what we thought we were going to see as a result of the pandemic, which is a Certainly now, a, a, you know, an ongoing period of uh, rising mental health needs for young people that are manifesting themselves in schools, in particular, in the form of things like behaviors that are, you know, behaviors that are out of line in school, right? Or behaviors that are very challenging to, to work with in school, like more explosive outbursts, um, more inappropriate touching and sexual kinds of behavior, sexual harassment, um, more uh, sort of bullying kinds of things, particularly uh, social media stuff. Every high school that I know of is like hyper vigilant right now about you know anonymous Instagram accounts and people creating accounts that are pretending to be accounts for the school and then saying all kinds of scandalous you know stuff or putting up you know pictures of people that are disparaging in some way um, and things like fights or, you know, at the most extreme end, we see what, uh, you know, what happened in Oxford, Michigan, who I owe an apology to because I think a couple episodes ago I called it Oakland, Michigan. So my bad, Oxford. Uh, um, I see you. And, um, and you know, obviously that's at the like peak end of, of horrible in terms of what can happen. But even sub that, we're seeing threats, right? Um, which could be more just sort of copycat phenomena, but also, you know, we have to take seriously in this day and age, right? And, um, 
And so, Manuel, it's a, it's, it, there's a lot, right? And, and of course, the ripple effect of all this is stress on other students, stress on adults um, who are the caregivers in school, uh, counselors, deans, administrators, and of course, the, the kind of frontline folks, teachers, TAs, you know, folks who are in the classroom every day. And, um, you know, this is, this is, we find ourselves, I think, Manuel, in the position of like, didn't we know this was going to happen? <laughs> like, we wrote all kinds of reports that this is what was going to happen, right? Uh, I don't mean to laugh about it, but like, I swear I went to like 12 webinars on, the, on that first year of the pandemic that were like, we need social emotional learning because it, this is going to traumatize the kids. And I was like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. Sounds reasonable. Right. And, uh, and yet like here we are, right. Seeing what we thought we were going to saw and also still sort of finding ourselves perhaps unsure of what to do about it. Or in my humble opinion, maybe more than unsure, finding ourselves feeling unable to respond to what we are seeing because there's no room. There's either no resources in some cases, there aren't enough mental health professionals in schools, there aren't uh, enough minutes available in a school day to spend on you know, social emotional learning, community building, activities that are fun and playful and not you know, just your your core curriculum, right? Um, so it's a lot in that, Manuel. Um, but as, uh, as the lone uh, doctor of education on the panel here, um, I'm expecting you to have all the answers now. So uh, please, Dr. Rustin, pontificate for, for the audience. Ooh, am I the super dope guest this week? I think you are the resident expert uh, who has all the solutions. Go. Uh, but I, I think you said it perfectly when you said it's a lot. I think that is that quote. It's a lot. I think that pretty much summarizes where we're at right now. This is so, so much. And you are right. We did see this coming. In fact, on this show back in March, we had an episode, episode 67. That's the one with our super dope elementary teacher, uh, Megan Surreal. Um, during the do now on the episode, we reported on a story by the Heckinger Report that um, was actually published back in February. And it was reporting about how uh, experts were worried about the impact of the pandemic and hybrid learning and in-school learning even, and definitely remote learning, the impact that that might have on school discipline. And within that, within that story, they spoke to Dan Lozen, who's director of the Center for Civil Rights Remedies at UCLA's Civil Rights Project. And in that article, he said, quote, I predict there will be a train wreck if we don't staff up and provide the services, especially mental health services, to all the kids who may need them. And he was speaking about the upcoming school year, which is the one that we are now halfway through uh, in most parts of the country. He predicted a train wreck. A lot of other people did. You are right. We attended so many different webinar webinars about the importance of really emphasizing social emotional learning and really uh, building up our capacity as educators to support students in that arena. We had David Adams on our show um, and we've spoken about social emotional learning um, with him, of course, and, and in other contexts as well. And there was a large, from my interpretation, really large um, segment of our educator community who was 
who were all saying, look, we need to really think about our structures and our practices when we go back to school in this, you know, quote unquote, post-pandemic school year, which ended up not being post-pandemic at all, um, because students are in such need of, of radical support. And here we are halfway through the school year and we are mightily struggling to really meet the need um, that's there right in front of us. As a high school teacher, I am in a classroom with 30 something teenagers, um, multiple periods, several times a day across five days a week. And I am struck, like I do not have the capacity or the time to really do the sort of radical care that experts are, are calling for in terms of really helping students with all that they are struggling with. And when I say that, I'm, I'm referencing the article, the LA Times article, which we'll link under this story. In there, there are um, two professors from the world's number one public university, <laughs> uh, Jeff. I don't know if you noticed that, that all the, oh. the experts quoted in this article were... We're Listen, from the world's number one public university, Jeff. We're going to have be, to have a rule on the show, Manuel, that you can't just go around giving free advertising to UCLA every single episode. We need to get a sponsorship or something here, okay? Uh. <laughs> I would definitely, hey, UCLA people, If I don't know if y'all even do uh, sponsorships for, for podcasts, but um, I, I'm, open, I'm open to, you know, you can send some free gear my way. <laughs> some, some of that new, new uh, Nike Jordan brand UCLA gear, but... Uh -huh. um, but I mean, facts are facts, Jeff, and, and facts, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, Jeff. And the fact is, UCLA's number one public university in the world. And um, two of the, the professors who are quoted, quoted in this LA Times article, uh, one of them is Dr. Tyrone Howard and the other one's Dr. Uh, Ron Avi Astor, um, they both said that schools can play a, a role in really supporting students right now by providing um, what they both refer to as radical care, um, which in the article is framed as the idea that schools can provide what students need outside of just the academic learning. So um, food, shelter, mental health support, all these things that Jeff, you've spoken several times about how like, it shouldn't be up to schools to do all that. Like schools, we rely on schools too much to like, to solve the, the challenges that are in our society and in our community as a result of racism and capitalism and all these challenges, all these systems that have uh, put us in these, in these spots. But but yeah, we are we are here at our schools with these students who are in their own different ways, really screaming for help and really asking for some kind of guidance, some kind of leadership. I know as a uh, when, I, when I'm teaching, I mean, as far as like the real basic stuff, the, the food, the water, um, the whatever little bits that I know in terms of how to both teach my content, but also simultaneously um, support students own um, mental well-being. I, I do the best I can, but it is quite difficult. It is quite difficult. And this article from the LA Times points out several instances, at least around the LA area, of online threats, of of students posting things that were troubling, of kids, you know, staying home from school because they're worried about what might happen the next day based on something they've seen. And then this you add the Surgeon General's report, and in there he talks about or in the somewhere in the report it, it mentions that. Anxiety and depression has doubled during the pandemic and 25% of youth are experiencing depressive symptoms and 20% are experiencing anxiety symptoms. Like this is a, this is a lot, Jeff, as you said, yeah. this is a lot. And as just speaking simply as the classroom teacher, I'm like, 
I know that a lot needs to be done. I know there are readings. I know there are resources out there. But in terms of my time and capacity to do that and simultaneously also do the academic stuff and just like myself getting through through all that's happening in the world right now, it, this is this is very, very difficult. Very difficult. Yep. Yeah, I feel that uh, completely, Manuel. And, um, and I think what you have shared is something I've heard echoed uh, from educators, uh, you know, really everywhere, honestly, um, at least in the United States uh, this school year. It's like the recognition that like, hey, there's a whole set of needs here. And I, I don't, I either don't have the clinical training and expertise to be the person to address this, right? I don't have the setting, which is like, I'm in a room with 30, 35 kids. Like, you know, you can't have, you know, I have 57 minutes with these 35 kids. Even if I talk to every kid individually, they get, what is that? You know, 70 yeah. seconds each or something, right? So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it is, uh, you know, we are not set up as an institution to do all of the work that we are asked to do, right? Um, and I don't say that to be like, okay, well, let's, you know, wash our hands and move on. But, but to say there's a piece of this that we can do, right? What we do have is kids in groups all day. What we do have is community. What we do have is the ability to have traditions, rituals, um, you know, recognitions, uh, rites of passage, right? Um, the opportunity to provide an environment in which kids can experiment in safe and healthy ways, uh, in which kids can develop talents and interests with peers, right, um, while being right. supervised and that sort of thing. So we have a lot. I'm not. I'm not saying we we don't, but that's just to say, like, if we were to zoom out from this for a moment, right? If there's an alien that came to the United States today that didn't know anything about human beings and what we do. And they just looked at this data that the Surgeon General is citing, and they just looked at some of these early indications that uh, the article in the LA Times, the Melissa Gomez article notes, right? It starts with saying, a 14-year-old girl in the Central Valley was arrested Monday after he allegedly threatened to kill two classmates. And then it goes on to list like a bunch of other examples of that exact like same thing happening across the region and the state. Okay, so like if I'm the alien looking at this, there's some things I'm going to notice, right? And some things I'm going to say, like, why are you doing this, right? Like we're seeing law enforcement becoming, again, as we have seen in the past in our country, the, the sort of um, tool of last resort that we have to deal with issues that if we did things differently might not get to the point of this kid is going to violently attack other people. Right. Um, and so we would be asking ourselves, how are those systems working for us right now? Have we put the resources that are needed into those systems to make them work for us? Are we using time in the way that is best aligned with the needs that we are seeing? Right. And I, I would argue that the answer is very clearly no at least right now, um, we are not, okay? In that, you know, let's think about the things in school that provide community, connection, joy uh, to kids, right? For the most part, 
and I don't mean to be disparaging of folks, but for the most part, it's not English, math, and social studies that do that, right? I, w I would argue. Other people may disagree. I, you know, I'm not citing data from a study here, but my long career- Maybe it's grades and tests that do that, Jeff. Is it grades yeah. and tests? I think it's detentions and referrals, actually, now that oh, I think about it. Yes, yes lunch detention. Um, so, no, I, you know, I think there is, kids have friends at school, right? Kids have um, activities, sports, band, drama, you know, um, they have courses, individual courses, often, you know, electives and things that they get to choose and that they might be really into. And sometimes that is going to be math and sometimes it is going to be English and social studies and science and that. But like we are we have gone back to the exact same or not necessarily the exact same, but largely similar the same. enough, similar enough. Thank you. Master schedules that we had. We still have the same kind of like flow and use of time in the day. And I think what our kids' behavior, the, the people I know who are like best at uh, dealing with, I kind of hate to use that phrase because that's not exactly what I mean, but like the folks who are like masterful at working with students who are having behavior challenges and like forming relationships with them and being able to work with them constructively on stuff that's really problematic and really disruptive in school, right, tend to be people who can be very sort of clinical in their mind in terms of how they think about behaviors, right? They're like, what story is this behavior telling us, right? This right, story, right. you know, the behavior might be like really freaking hard to deal with. Like this kid is cursing you out in the face. This kid is like throwing stuff in a classroom. This kid is threatening to hit people or actually hitting people. You know, this kid is talking about you, you fat, blah, 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 you know, like nobody wants to deal, to deal with a human being who's behaving that way in that moment, right? But, um, you know, there are people who can like look sort of dispassionately at it and, t and think about what story is this behavior telling me and can see hope, possibility, and potential and value and like innocence in the person who is expressing that behavior because they are not in their core, just their worst moments of behavior and they are an adaptable, growable, malleable human being like the rest of us. And they have worth and value and deserve love. And in a perfect you know, setting, a community would respond that way to them, which is not to remove accountability for their behavior, but is to understand that that behavior is expressing something that usually gets back to some set of unmet needs, right? And, um, and they can learn and change and grow over time. And it might be hard. It might take a lot of work. They right. might mess up again a bunch of times, right? But they're not necessarily a lost cause, right? And so we don't have a lot of systematic ways that we can uh, deal with kids in that way in our current system because there isn't enough staffing because that way of dealing with it, instead of just like suspending kids or sending them home or whatever, takes way more energy to like 10 times as much adult energy to do well as it does to just kick kids out. Right. Um, or ostracize them in, you know, in some way. And we have all this pressure in the system that like we have to get back to all of the regular stuff right away because otherwise you're going to be hopelessly behind and then you're going to fail and you're going to, you know, and, and like that, 
That's the pressure that's on us. And I think what the Surgeon General is raising and what this article is raising is like, it do, does it have to be that way? It doesn't. We've chosen it to be this way. We've talked a lot recently about like, man, we said we're going to reimagine and we haven't reimagined, but maybe this is really powerful data that's telling us actually we can do things differently and maybe we need to think more radically about that. Like who cares about these kids' test scores this year? And I'm not, again, just the blanket anti-test person, but it's clearly not as important as them being in a better mental health space than they are when they're having suicidal ideation and anxiety and cursing out their teacher and threatening to shoot people. Like, who cares about the test in that, in that moment, right? Like, we're getting five alarm fire bells ringing and we're not doing nothing. I mean, we're not, I shouldn't say that. We're trying well, within the system, but we need more. I'm sorry, go ahead, Manuel. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, but I, I, I'm at the point now where I just realized that those sorts of individuals that you talk about who know and who have, um, let's say, expertise in supporting young people in the ways that, that you just mentioned and, and seeing a young person as more than just the um, maybe perhaps disruptive or whatever type of behavior that's in front of them, um, seeing them as more than what that is, we, those people exist for sure. I don't think enough of them exist. And for all the reasons that you just mentioned about like the system itself and the pressures of the system, when I look at our school and our administrators and our district leadership and just all that needs to be done or all that is set up to, to have to be done, it just doesn't seem like we have the capacity as a system to really address this in a real meaningful way. So instead we get um, tidbits here and there, like maybe in, the student walks into this classroom and feels great and affirmed and this is all great. And then they next period they got this other classroom and none of that is there. But that teacher, you know, that teacher might be on their last leg. They might be on the way out because of all the challenges of, of teaching at this time, especially. Or that teacher maybe just has no knowledge and expertise of how to go about it. And they don't have the support because whatever PD they have is is limited or ineffective and how are they really going to in the midst of everything else that they do how are they really going to learn how to transform their practice and transform not just their practice but really their thinking and their mindset around young people and and what our our role is as as educators i think it's just such a tall order that when i think about yes it doesn't have to be this way we could have made different decisions but that we is you know obviously not you obviously not me but it's also like were these decisions made or is this just the natural outcome of a system that is designed in such a way as to produce these types of results and everything is designed around that end, therefore to deviate from that and to go in a different direction, a humanizing direction, a direction where we see young people as more than their test scores, a, a direction where teaching English or teaching history isn't really necessarily just about the academic content and the skills, but it's about the the teaching humans to, to be uh, better than we were and to build a, a bright, big, better and brighter future uh, that's full of love and affirmation for everybody. Like the, these moves are, are very difficult. And I think on this show, we've had plenty of guests who exemplify the types of individuals and the types of, of voices that we need to, to help try to steer us away from the really toxic, oppressive uh, types of schools that we have out there. But I, I think that's few and far between. I think our voices, you and I, Jeff, and, and the voices of our super dope guests and the folks who listen to our show, I think we are vastly outnumbered and not in such a way that it's like us against them, but it's more like I think most educators and most folks in the profession 
simply weren't raised and brought up in the profession to see things in these ways. And even if they do see things in these humanizing, loving ways, I don't know that they know or have the capacity to really change what they're doing. So I think about myself and the little bit that I do and I do what I can. And, you know, I got waters and I got granola bars and, and all that stuff. Cause sometimes I could tell the student like really just needs that, but I don't have enough to support everybody. My classroom is small. My classroom is, I think one of the smallest in on our school in terms of rooms that have full sets of, of students in them. And, you know, I just do what I can, but it's just, I don't know that individual effort. I don't know that my own bootstraps are enough to um, to significantly impact um, what young people are receiving. And then you add the social media component, which is talked about in this LA Times article. Um, they talked to a teacher who said at their particular school, some anonymous Instagram accounts have popped up that that are really impacting students' mental health. One of the accounts is like posts pictures of, of students' backsides and another account posts pictures of students' feet or shoes or something when they're uh, in bathroom stalls, something really weird and something that's, you know, you can imagine as a teenager, like just scrolling through social media and like, hey, that's that's me right there. And that teacher said they've struggled to get Instagram to respond to their request to deactivate those accounts. I think the combination of obviously the, the, the virus itself, the actual, the literal pandemic, plus the impact that social media has had and the speed with which this entire generation has become connected to social media. Um, those two, plus the other existential threats, the climate crisis, the threats to our democracy, all that stuff, all of this happening at the same time, I think is just incredibly, incredibly troubling and challenging. And I don't know that, I, I don't know what the, the road ahead looks like to kind of dig ourselves out of this because even, even the things that we think are obvious, Jeff, the social emotional learning, supporting students' um, capacities to to you know really learn how to cope and, and deal with some of what they're facing. Hell, that's outlawed in certain states now. Like they've straight up outlawed that in certain states because they've conflated it with CRT and all this other stuff. It's like um, the the battles are are never ending, and it makes me think of the Fermi paradox. I don't know if you're a sci-fi person, Jeff. I don't know if you've heard of the the Fermi paradox, but it's this idea of like, with so many stars, so many galaxies, such an expansive universe, like why have we not encountered intelligent life yet? Like statistically odds are we sh should have encountered somebody by now because um, there are so many galaxies, so many planets that are capable of sustaining life. And um, Stephen Hawking, he, he referenced the idea that civilizations perhaps become so intelligent that they destroy themselves. And he said like human civilization, for example, maybe it's too stupid to survive the unstable system that it builds for itself. So when you add, you know, nuclear proliferation, uh, climate crisis, you add technology, you add um, our interconnectedness, all that stuff. Like maybe as a civilization collectively, we can't handle that. And maybe that's why we don't meet other intelligent life because they they too can't handle it. And it gets to a point where we're so connected that, um, it becomes something that we can't survive. And I think about, I see folks post on on social media once in a while, more something along the lines of like, we were never meant to be this connected. Like we were never meant to like see videos of some traumatic event that's happening in some neighborhood in some country on the other side of the world. You're like, you were never meant to see that. You're never meant to interact like instantly with somebody of like some kind of like really, really um, hateful uh, positioning. 
And yeah, maybe we were never meant to be this connected and the young people now are perhaps the first ones to show us that that, that kind of hyper connection is something that makes the, you know, our role as, as adult educators um, makes it something that's perhaps more complex than we even realize because I don't know what it's like to be a 13 year old sitting in class and my teacher's trying to talk to me or teach me about some math formula, but they just posted a picture of my freaking shoes in the bathroom stall and people are commenting that that's me and that I was in there taking a dump and this and that, ha ha ha. Like, I don't, me as an adult educator, I don't know what it's like to sit in a desk and have all that going on while my teacher's trying to teach me something that they think is important because it's, you know, test scores and all this stuff. Like, I just think the problems here are so complex that it's an all hands on deck situation, a phrase I like to use, and we are nowhere near having all hands on deck because a lot of folks will say this is all overblown. Teachers need to get back to reading, writing, and arithmetic like that Bloomberg piece we talked about last week. And that's just, a, it's very scary, Jeff. To me, it's its very, very scary. I really wish we could push some, put some pressure on these social media companies to stop cashing in on students' trauma and stop cashing in on screen time and find some other method for them um, to sustain themselves because like there's got to be another way to make money off of this besides freaking data mining and keeping people staring at their screens all freaking day. Like, I wish we could do that. I wish we could get everybody to shut up about the CRT debate and the SEL controversies and all that stuff and just be on the same page about the importance of having a really humanizing, uh, holistic school system that meets students' needs and that helps us usher in a unified future for everybody. Like, I wish we could do that, but I don't think we're anywhere near that. Damn, that sounds depressing. I didn't mean to be so pessimistic and depressing on this <laughs> uh, nice, frigid, 60-degree winter day in California, Jeff, but that's where my thinking is right now. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I understand that completely, uh, Manuel. And I think there is... Um, as you're talking, like a, a few things came to mind for me there, right? Like on the on the one hand, I think you're right that we don't have enough of those kind of educators that we were talking about. And also I wanna be like fair to folks, right? Like educators are not clinical social workers. They're not th psychologists. They're not marriage and family therapists, right? They learned to teach some academic content and manage classrooms and, you know, and assess and these sorts of things. And um, we are often asking teachers to do stuff that's way out of their lane in a way that we don't do with most professions, right? Like we don't usually have a plumber come into your house and be like, hey man, could you just fix the roof today instead? Like, <laughs> you know, like that would be ridiculous. And they would look at you like it was ridiculous and walk away, right? And we don't usually, you know, uh, go to the dry cleaner and be like, listen, man, can you just come like uh, paint the walls in my house for me? Like, it's kind of like cleaning. And, you know, like these, these right. are not, you know, this is not things that happens in every kind of job. And so I do want to have just like some empathy for the, for the educators in this equation oh, yeah. where I'm like, we, t we mess up all this stuff as a society and then we ask schools to fix it. And we're going to have to start thinking more holistically, right? There is absolutely concrete stuff we can and should do in school, right? Like we don't have to use time the way we're using it. We don't have to say that everyone starts and finishes at exactly the same point and that you're a failure if you don't. We don't have to say that you have to take 
all of the things that you have to take currently now in order to graduate. Like that's an arbitrary set of decisions that we made and maybe there's a different way to think about it, right? Um, we, we have a rigid hierarchy around, you know, what it means to succeed K to 12 and then moving into college. And we, you know, we reinforce inequities probably in an even deeper way in some ways at the higher education level than we do in the K-12 system, where we dramatically underfund community colleges, we dramatically underfund undergraduate education, we dramatically underfund teaching at the college level to make the classroom experience actually good and interesting and helpful for kids learning, particularly kids who might, you know, have been marginalized in some way in their educational experience. Right. So like we can fix that. We can spend money differently and hire people differently. Right. Families don't have food. Families don't have health care. Families don't have job security. They don't have housing security. Why the heck does it cost two thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment in many parts of L.A.? Man, like this is the stupid decision that we have allowed to be what it is. And we can choose to do it differently. Like this is not. This is not like God has told us it, this is how it shall be. This is not Mother Nature creating a storm and it, we just have to deal with it, right? Like we made the storm and we can unmake the storm. We need political will to do it, right? Which is a whole other season of episodes for, <laughs> for us to talk about. But there is hopefully some hope in that recognition, right? That like... There are concrete things we can do differently to get, or at least try, to get different results. And I think we just, we, we have, what the kids' behavior is telling us is that we have to think more expansively than we have about this. We have, we have been constrained into this tiny little status quo, white middle class, capitalist, uh, upwardly mobile conversation about education that it has to be expanded. It has to be expanded, and um, you know it's, it's unfortunate that what's what it's taking is fourteen-year-olds threatening to kill people, or actually killing people, for yeah. us to to get the point right. But um, but we are we are where we are, and it's not a hopeless place. Um, it, it's a place that should cause us to look real hard in the mirror and say like, okay. You know, what, what do we have that we can do right now? What do we have that's going to take a few years? And what do we have that's going to like really piss some people off? But it's going to have to change, you yeah. know? Um, and some people are going to have to start paying taxes who ain't used to paying taxes, for example. Yeah. So, um, you know. Ah, yeah, Manuel. Sure. Nah. So, so much to do that can be done and yet many barriers <laughs> in yeah. the way that, that we're going to have to overcome collectively. But, um, but I appreciate, Manuel, every week the opportunity to have these conversations with, with you. And I appreciate the opportunity to engage with um, all of our wonderful all of the above community out there in the Twitter-verse and the Facebook-verse and the YouTube-verse. I'm just making up verses now, but all I think the verses. those are things that exist. All the verses, <laughs> the multiverse. Um, yeah, so you know we're gonna we're gonna keep it going. Like you said, we got uh, a few weeks in a row here where we will have passing periods instead of our full video episodes. Because um, uh, contrary to popular opinion, Manuel and I have lives and uh, sometimes go on vacation and go to see family and celebrate the holidays. And uh, 
So we're going to do some of that, but we're going to, you know, we'll keep it fresh and brand new for you too, just uh, just on the on the podcast. Um, so, yeah. you know, get get yourself some uh, fancy new noise-canceling headphones for uh, for Christmas and make sure you tune in to your favorite education podcast <laughs> on, <laughs> on your fancy new Christmas gift or, yeah. you know, uh, Kwanzaa gift or uh, Festivus gift or Hanukkah's over, right? So I guess maybe you already got a Hanukkah gift and you could use it <laughs> in the next few weeks. Just treat your, and you could also just treat yourself. It ain't even got to be a gift. It could be you just treating yourself. Um, with that being said, Jeff, I also want to point out that our 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 merch are especially especially the teach the truth nothing but teach the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth um hoodies and sweaters and and t-shirts would make excellent gifts for the um educators and and educator allies in your life so that you know you might want to treat yourself to that or treat somebody else to that too uh link below link below this this um this podcast, but also Jeff, before, uh, before we wrap it up, I do want to point out that there are a lot of great things. Like, you know, you mentioned hope in there and I was like, you know what, there is for sure hope. I obviously have hope. Otherwise I wouldn't keep doing this every day. And I was just thinking about how like, yeah, maybe, you know, one teacher here and there isn't enough, but collectively enough folks together can, can make it happen. And I think about my own school site and a lot of the things that we read about in this LA times article, I can't really relate to that at my school site, although there's plenty of anxiety and, and I've mentioned before having students who've had panic attacks and this and that and our, our wellness center is a bit overwhelmed. Um, generally speaking, like the violence and the aggression and the the assaults and the, the all the really negative stuff that um, is being spoken about in this article, that evidently is happening out there in the world for sure. But I haven't seen that at my school side. I've seen a lot of like, we're in this together and we're trying to help each other out um, the best we can. So uh, definitely shout out to everybody at my school site and, and everybody who's at similar sites where, yeah, it's not, it's not an ideal semester, but we're getting through it. And we're hopefully, hopefully um, working towards a, a really nice springtime hopefully where uh hopefully we start to see some kind of turning the corner and uh feeling really great about ourselves again about you know where we are in education and, and what have you so we shall see but yeah folks like jeff said next week we will be back here with another passing period we're going to keep it rolling and yeah anything else jeff uh keep your head up everybody you there know, we go it's a it's a heavy time it's a heavy time for a lot of educators out there. Uh, I was at a school this week with a, uh, where a young man, um, a ninth grade student, was uh, tragically killed. And uh, it's just, it is, I know there's a lot on a lot of people's plates. So acknowledge that, understand the, the pain, the anger, the frustration, the stress. We got a vacation coming up, use it. Unplug. Don't be grading papers. Don't be, you know, hug your kids, do some meditation, drink a cup of hot tea, exercise, eat home cooked food, you know, like do do stuff that's good for you and uh, and keep your head up because this is a hard time, but it's not permanent. And uh, and we have we have each other. We do. We do. All right, folks, on that note, um, we will catch you next Saturday for another passing period. And um, with all that being said, it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs>